welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. All right, so what is up, everybody? I know it's just another week of school, right? We're kind of like, what, a month in, maybe? And spring break is still like a month away, right? And tests are probably coming, and it's just, it's not fun, right? It's not fun. It's not a fun time. But just sleep a couple more weeks, and spring break's really close, right? Uh, so let's continue. Tonight, we are actually continuing in the book of First John. Um, let's see, do we have the page number on the screen? So in these little white Bibles here um, that are around you, if you didn't bring a Bible or don't have one or don't have access to one, uh, that's our gift. You can use that. And if you actually don't have, I meet lots of students who are like, well, I have a Bible. It's just six hours at home. Okay? Um, take this Bible with you. Right? Uh, because you, you don't have one with you here. So that is our gift. Those are for students. Uh, that's why we have them. So if you have a Bible or you don't have a Bible here with you at school, please take that. And tonight we will be on page 591. Wait. 592. 592 in the White Bibles. And so we're going to continue going through uh, the letter of 1 John. Uh, some of you maybe have been here. This is our fourth week on the letter of 1 John. And this semester, our theme is uh, so that you may know. And so the theme, oh, there it is. That's a g- wonderful graphic, so that you may know. And this week's idea is so that you may know what is true. So the letter of 1 John, and we'll actually see it here tonight, the context of the letter. Every week, I kind of give you some background information as to what's going on with these people, with the author, what's going on. But actually, tonight, we'll actually see what's actually going on. I won't have to tell you. I'll just read it to you, okay? And we'll see why John wrote this letter. Each week, we kind of give you an idea so that you may know, so that these believers may know who God is more. One week it was so that you may know what is light and darkness, right? And this week's is so that you may know what is true. And so let's go ahead and and dive into this, and let's just read it, and then we'll come back and walk through it all, okay? And so I want to do this because this text this week is, I think, oftentimes taken out of context, oftentimes misunderstood. It's kind of confusing and wordy. Because it sounds really repetitive. So let's go ahead and just read it. And then we'll come back and walk through it, okay? So we are going to start in the letter of 1 John, chapter 2, which is the big number. We're going to start in verse 18, which is the small number, okay? And it says this. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have 
knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And listen to this. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Who's He? Jesus, right? This is the promise that Jesus made to us, eternal life. Verse 16, or verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So there's, as you can see, a lot of repetition. As you can see, maybe uh, that's a bit confusing. Um, Who's anointing who? What's abiding in what? Um, who's the Antichrist again? Right? That This is a, a bit confusing, and we can take this out of context really easy, but when we actually read this section in context of the letter, this is why we're walking it through verse by verse. It's actually really clear what John is saying here. And so he's trying to remind these people what is true, right? He says, hold on to the truth that you have heard from the beginning. Well, what is that truth? What have they heard from the beginning? Well, it's everything that John just told us leading up to this part in the letter, right? So what has John been telling them from verse 1 in chapter 1? He's been saying, you can trust me because I walked with Jesus. He then goes on to say, because you can trust me and because my word is true, because it's from Jesus, you can trust that when I say God is light and in him is no darkness, that that is true. And because of that, you can trust in what I say because it's what Jesus said. And Jesus said that he was the only way to the Father. And you can trust that your sins have been forgiven if you believe in this Jesus. And what does it look like to be a Christian then? And those who abide and believe and who have been saved, they obey and they're obedient and they follow God. But not only that, they love their neighbor. And then the end of last week's section, those who love God don't love the world. You can't love both the world and God at the same time. And so he's saying all of this, and now we actually get into the context of the letter, and we see why is John writing this? Why did John write this in such a way? This is a weird way to write a letter. If you read any of the other letters in the New Testament, most of them begin with a, I, Paul, write to you, the church in Galatia. Or you see 1 Peter, if you flip over like one or two pages to the left, you see 2 Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Right? But this letter is a little weird. This author just jumps right into it and starts proving to us why he is authoritative, why we can trust what he says. 
and we'll see why that matters. So let's go ahead and begin to walk through this, and we're going to move pretty quickly because I want uh, you guys to talk more about this in your small groups, and there's a lot we could talk about here. So let's start looking in verse 18 here. Okay, everyone looking? And he begins with children. And he said this multiple times already in the letter, right? He said, uh, my little children at the beginning of chapter 1, and he'll say it a, a, a maybe one or two more times in the letter, and he says this not to be patronizing. I think oftentimes, you know, we can think of our, oh, poor, poor, poor little child. Let me, let me, let me tell you what's right, okay? He's not saying it like that, right? This is almost like a father figure or a guardian coming, one who cares for these people. He's saying, children, listen to me. Children, you know my voice. Listen to what I have to say. So in 18, he says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so this is an interesting way to begin this section because he says, children, the last hour is here. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? Um, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Who, who told us? Where did they hear this from? So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, you know it is the last hour, right? So that kind of seems circular, right? You know the last hour is here because you've been told the Antichrist has come, and they've come, so that's how you know, Right? But if you look back, I mean, he's referring back to all of these things that they've already previously heard. So they've clearly been told or taught this at some point. Now, we haven't seen this in the letter, but you can see, and I don't have it on the screen, and maybe you can write it down and look at this later, but Jesus talks about this. Matthew 24, when the apostles and John, the, the author of this is one of them, when they come to Jesus and say, how do we know when the end times are coming? How do we know when all of these things will come to pass. He warns them and says, there are going to be those who will come calling themselves the Messiah. There will be those who come deceiving the world. That's how you will know. That's how you'll know the time is coming to an end. And so they've already been warned. They've already been told that this is coming. And so what does it mean by the last hour? That's another good question, right? And this idea of the last hour, we see other ways of, of describing this idea throughout the Bible. Um, we see even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the last hour or the last days or the last time or the last day is upon us. And in other scriptures in the Bible, you know, in Acts, it talks about it in 2 Timothy and Hebrews and 1 Peter, we see this image of the last times are here, right? And when we hear that, that should cause our ears to perk up. That there's an urgency, right? That the clock is ticking. Now, don't be alarmed and say, oh my gosh, Jade, I only have an hour left to live. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? That this is often referred as a metaphor, an image, right? That the last time, the last hour is here. And when people read this in the scriptures and in the Bible, what they're meaning is that from the time Jesus arrived, the clock is ticking. For thousands of years, people have been waiting for the Messiah to come, the one who would come and restore everything. 
and he's come. And he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is here, all who would repent and believe would have eternal life, who would repent and believe in this message that I have brought them. And now the clock is ticking. The time is now. And he tells his disciples, go and to tell everyone this good news. Go and teach these people, because the time is ending. The clock is ticking. Time is running out. And he said, this is how you know that this time is here, not only because I told you, but because I've already told you that there are ones who will come and say, no, 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 no. Come and follow me. So when we think of Antichrist, um, maybe some of us think of, I googled Antichrist. Um, uh, There was a lot of horrifying pictures that popped up on Google Images, okay? So if you don't like scary images, don't do that. Um, But if you, I guess you like that, I guess you could do it afterwards. Um, But most of us, when we think of the Antichrist, right, we think of the devil with the big horns and the pitchfork and the 666 on the forehead and um, I hate scary movies, but my wife loves them, so every now and then she'll make me watch one, and it's not fun. I don't enjoy it. Uh, but when we think of the Antichrist, maybe some of us think of different things, and I have an image here. It's not a scary one, okay? At least I don't think it's scary. But sometimes when we think of the Antichrist, or we think of Satan, or we think of the devil, we think of, like, this is the pic- what we picture, this, this red guy with the horns, and he's like... I like this when he's arm wrestling, I guess, Jesus or God, um, which is what a lot of Americans, that's what when we think of God, this is what a lot of Americans picture, right? This old man in heaven with the white beard with the halo, and here he's got a cross necklace, which is, you know, I guess cool. Um, But this is sometimes what we think of, right? When we think of the Antichrist, we think of the devil, right? And so here in this passage, John is saying In verse 18, children, the last hour is here, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. That there is one final Antichrist that will come. And the word Antichrist is actually only used five times in the Bible. And it's actually only used in 1 John and 2 John. Most people don't know that. We think of, oh, it's probably used a lot in Revelation, talking about the Antichrist, talking about the end times. Actually, it's not. It's used only in 1 John and in 2 John. And he defines in the text what is the Antichrist, the one that is coming, right? And we see that as we continue to walk through this in verse, uh, let's see, what is it? Um, Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. And so what what John is saying here that the the one that I'm talking about who is the Antichrist, who is the deceiver, who is the one, the final one that will come one day is the one who denies the Christ. And that there is this final Antichrist. But before he comes, before that final day, Right? We typically image the Antichrist being with uh, the dragon in Revelation or the serpent in Genesis. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe ask your small group. Um, there's other images of this man of lawlessness who will lead, um, lead the wickedness in the end times, right? But all this person is is someone, this person denies God, rejects Christ. 
wants to be their own Messiah, wants to be their own truth. And what he's saying here, John, is that before that one comes, there will be many more. There will be many others like him who will come to deceive the world, to deceive God's people, to deceive people into believing false truths about God. And so in verse 19, we'll keep going, they went out from us, okay, who's they? The Antichrist, these people who are claiming, um, uh, these, these Antichrists, they are the ones that went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So the question is then, what, what, why did they leave? Well, in the text, it tells us they left God's people because they didn't believe the same thing, that there was something different about what they believed, that God's people believed something and these people didn't like or they disagreed, and so this group of people left. And he says it's plain that it might become plain. It's clear why they left. And they left because they believed something different about Jesus. They believed something different about the way to salvation. And in verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And so then it might, we might begin to wonder, okay, so he's writing to believers. He's writing to people who hold fast to this truth about who Jesus is. And he's saying that you have been anointed by God's Holy One. And you all have knowledge. And so this Holy One is God's Spirit, right? That Jesus promised that after he would leave one who would one greater than him would come and comfort God's people and be the down and, and be the seal of God's promise to his people, that he would anoint and cover his people, that he would be with his people, that he would guide his people. And that's what this is talking about, the Holy One, the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed. So in the Old Testament, the word anointed is a lot of times the kings were anointed with oil, right? That's what I typically thought. Um, in Kenya, there was lots of people, when I was in Kenya, um, they anointed everyone, left and right. People were being anointed with oil, holy oil, left and right. If you were going on a mission trip, you were anointed. Um, if you were becoming a new pastor, you were anointed. Um, if you just felt like, you know, God was leading you to be a prophet, you were anointed. And so a lot of times when we think of anointing, we think of anointed with oil. Or maybe some of us actually don't know. I'm like, I've never been anointed right? I grew up at a Presbyterian church, then I went to a Baptist church, and those two churches aren't anointing people, right? They're not, they're not pouring oil on people, okay? So then what is he talking about here? You've been anointed with the Holy One. And in the Old Testament, it's interesting if you look at the study of what the role of the, old, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only uh, led certain people, those people who were anointed. So King David was led by the Holy Spirit and was anointed, right? It's interesting. Uh, you also, King, 
see King Saul, who was the king before King David, he was anointed and led by the Holy Spirit, but then at one point in King Saul's life, the Holy Spirit left, that he lost that anointing. But for us today, this is saying that all who believe in Jesus, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed with God's Holy One. And yet you have all knowledge. You don't need anything else. That the knowledge that you have been told and given is enough. So in verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So we see there again, who, what, what does it mean, Antichrist? Those who deny Jesus. They deny something about Jesus. They deny a truth about Jesus. And in this context, these people denied that Jesus, most of them deny that Jesus was a human. Isn't that interesting? Today, most people deny that Jesus was God. That's the biggest, that's the big debate. Everyone believes that Jesus was a person, that he existed. But today, that's what we, you know, and we, we, we doubt that he was actually God, right? He was just a good spiritual teacher, But what John's combating is the complete opposite. He's trying to say, no, no, no. Jesus was a person. Jesus was a man. He walked, right? At the beginning of this chapter, or at the beginning of the book, he says, I talked with Jesus. I heard Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I saw Jesus. I touched Jesus. And I'll just read this, you know, in 2 John, which is the shortest letter in the Bible, It's only 13 verses, so that's an easy one. You can check off your list for your Bible reading for the year. You can go read 2 John after this. And I'll read one of those verses. You only have 12 more to go. Verse 7 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And so, what he's saying is those who deny Jesus are denying God. Because Jesus claims to be from the one true God. He claims to be that I am God in the flesh. And if you deny me, you're denying the God that sent me. And so we read here, continuing on in verse 23, those who deny the Son, those who den- no one who denies the Son has the Father. Okay? So you can't have one without the other. And those who confess the Son have the Father also. Right? So we finally get back to the believer. How do you know you're a believer? How do you know you've been anointed? Those who confess that Jesus is the Son. Those who believe, those who have professed, right, is maybe another word. But the word confess here is chosen on purpose. Because up until this point, these people who are deceivers have been denying the truth. They've been denying who Jesus is. They've been denying what God has spoken through Jesus. And they've been believing other things. And then all of a sudden here we have John saying, but you who confess are not denying the truth. Right? I think of a, uh, of a, a crime TV shows where all the lawyers are trying to, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get that confession. Right? I'm going to get that. Right? We all know it's true. We all know he did it. I just need to make him confess. He just needs to stop denying the truth. 
And that's what John is saying here. These people are denying the truth. It is clear. And he's saying that his people, God's people, don't deny this. They confess that this is true. They confess that Jesus is Lord. And then in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that has been made to us. Right? Not made to specific people, not made to the chosen ones, made to all people who would believe, made to us, eternal life. And so we've talked about this word, to abide, right? John, this is one of John's favorite words. He uses it a lot in his gospel. He used it last week when we talked in, earlier in chapter 2. He uses the word abide. But here he uses the word abide in an interesting way. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what have they heard? They've heard the truth of the gospel. They've heard the stories of Jesus. They've heard the doctrine, the understandings, the teachings of who Jesus is. And he's telling them to abide in this, remain in this, stand firm in this teaching. Remain here. Do not be swayed left or right. And those that do and those that abide and those that hold on to that promise, it is promised to them that they will receive eternal life. That that promise is coming. That that promise is near, right? The hour is now. The clock is ticking. That those who abide this promise of life, of peace, of salvation is very close. And so verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So again, he makes it really clear why he's writing this. I write this because there are those who are trying to deceive you. You've already been warned of this. You already know this is going to happen. So don't be surprised when people come knocking on the door to teach you things about Jesus that aren't found in Scripture. I write these things to you so that you may not, uh, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 27, but the anointing, there's that word again, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. What's that anointing? The Holy One abides in you. It remains in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. You don't need to know anything else. You've been taught the truth. Right? You can't just, you know, when you, you learn about gravity, right? And, and who knows the, the, is there an equation for gravity? Are there any science majors in here? Maybe, I don't know. Right? Or what is the, what is the, what is the, uh, the, um, the formula for the light? What is it, E equals MC squared? No? What is it? Oh, it's not that one? Okay, right? But it's the idea that you've heard the truth, you know this formula, this is true, you can't add on to it, right? It's already set in stone. You can't add more truth on top of it. You can't just add more numbers and letters into the formula, into the equation, right? It's already true. There's no more truth to add, right? And so I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
but the anointing you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so he's reminding the people that they have already been given all they need. At this time in history, the Gnostics, the, these false teachers, these people who taught false things about Jesus, um, they were trying to add new information. They believed in the secret knowledge. They believed that Jesus would give certain people special revelation. That he would come and speak to special people. And they would claim, come and follow us and we can show you this special revelation, but it's not for everyone. And what he's saying is, no, you don't need that. You've already been told everything you need. You've already, you already have all knowledge. There's nothing else that you need. And he says to abide in that. Grow in that. Learn more about that. Not about these other things. And so when I think about this idea of, you know, groups and people claiming to receive more knowledge, special revelation, I mean, it's been happening since then, and it's happening to today, right? There was a man named Muhammad who claimed to have received a special revelation from God and began to write down what he was receiving. He claimed that the early church had twisted God's word, that the Christians had twisted who Jesus was and he began to write down these teachings that he had received from God and this grew and grew and became Islam we have all over the world today right and Muhammad claims to be the final prophet the final one sent from God didn't Jesus claim that we have more people going on and doing that. We have um, the, the famous, in America, the famous Joseph Smith. He claims in the 1800s to have been just hanging out at his house, and all of a sudden he received a revelation from God. This angel appeared to him and told him, hey, there's this, second tes- there's this third testament of Jesus Christ. There's this third book that I have buried right behind your house. And so he went out there and dug up these tablets, and they had the secret message, the final revelation of Jesus. Joseph Smith went on to begin to share these understandings and teachings that he said he had received from God, and it grew and grew, and we have the Mormon church today claiming to know the secret truth about God, claiming that the early church, claiming that the Bible has been distorted, the Bible is not enough. And and then even more recently, this is all over the world, even happening to today. In Kenya, I I like to use Kenyan examples, I lived there for two years, and in Kenya, there are prophets everywhere. And in Kenya, the famous one is Prophet Awar, he has this really long beard, and he claims to be the final prophet of God, that's what they all claim, right? Right? And he will have these rallies in downtown Nairobi where hundreds of thousands of people will come to see him. 
He claims to be the second coming of Elijah. He claims to be the only way to God. He claims to be able to heal and do miraculous things. And people flock to this man. And what John is saying here is, you shouldn't be surprised. I, Jesus warned you that this would happen. Jesus warned you that this teaching would come, that there would be those who would come and teach false things about who I am. And John is writing to this small group of believers to remind them of this, to warn them that these people are coming, that these people were in the midst of them and left and are probably down the street in a new church claiming to be the way. And so what does he do? He tells them to abide in what they have heard from the beginning. To abide in Christ. To abide in these teachings. And so to wrap up, uh, you know, there's a lot that we could talk about. And there's a lot of, I think, application for this that you guys can talk about in group. But one of the things that I wanted to mention was our faith, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, is grounded and rooted in doctrine, in a belief, in a specific idea that you believe to be true. That what you believe and read in the Bible about Jesus and you believe about what the Bible teaches about God and about the human nature and about the world around us, that's a belief, that's a truth that you cling to, that you abide in. And oftentimes, you know, we hear, you know, maybe some of you here are having a, 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 a crisis of faith, right? We hear that phrase, and maybe you're beginning to doubt, and you're beginning to worry, and you're like, you're here in college, and you hear your professor saying all these things, or your classmates who are challenging you and all these things. You know, our faith is rooted and grounded in doctrine, in a belief in something, in truth. And so when he says here to abide in these things, so often we, uh, we spend so much of our time on Netflix. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, 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 um, this is me, right? I get sucked into Netflix. I, I binge Netflix or get sucked into YouTube and you just watch one YouTube video and all of a sudden an hour later you're watching something completely different, right? Am I right? You start off watching cute puppies, little the puppy videos, and all of a sudden you're watching anime or who knows where you're at, right? It's like, how did I get to that? I don't know. And we fill our minds and we abide in worldly things or we abide in things that don't really ground or root our faith. And then our teacher says something in class. And we have a crisis. And when we have a crisis, what that means is we are beginning to question everything we believe, everything we've heard, all these truths that we've been told. But I want to say, and I think I have a slide, it's about doubt here. Um, I want to say that doubt is okay. That he's writing to these believers who probably have doubt. That are probably struggling. They're hearing all of these false things about who Jesus is. And there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And so I just wrote these up here, and um, if you want to take a picture of it or write it down or, or just forget about it as soon as it goes off the screen, that's okay. 
But the difference, I think, for us as believers in a world where we're trying to be deceived and be taught things that are contrary to what the Bible says, is unbelief is silent. When we don't believe, when we've rejected it, we're not going to talk about it. But doubt speaks, doubt asks questions, doubt continues to strive after these things. Unbelief is far away, doubt is very near. Unbelief walks away from God, doubt runs to God. Unbelief is bitter, doubt is hopeful. Unbelief wants to be right, doubt wants to be wrong. Unbelief doesn't think it's true, doubt wants it to be true. And so as much as many of us say, you know, the Christian faith, that's all it is, is faith. But that faith is rooted and grounded in truth. Rooted and grounded in doctrine. Rooted and grounded in what you believe about God. What you believe about Christ. And I would encourage all of us, that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we go to church on Sunday to hear the message and the word preached to us. That's why we have equip on Mondays to help train us in how do we understand our faith and how do we share that with others. So let me pray and we'll be dismissed to small groups, okay? Or I guess we have a, we have a song. Sorry. Father God, I just come to you thankful for this day, Lord. Thankful for who you are. Thankful for your goodness. And that God, you care about us. That you love us. That even when we're struggling and we're doubting and we have fears and we don't know what to believe, God, you are so close. Now, this is why Jesus came. So that we could see and hear and touch and believe. So we're thankful for your word. And we're thankful for this man, John, who so long ago risked his life for the truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.